0: women making waves on cambridge 105 radio
1: sue woodcock is in the middle of the clipper round the world race she's a wild swimmer a nurse and is someone who just gives things a try susie thorpe and i had a really lovely conversation with sue is in the middle of the clipper round-the-world race. She signed up to do two legs in 2019-2020, but the second leg has, of course, been postponed because of COVID. She's also a swimmer, a runner and a nurse. We wanted to talk to her because the ethos of this intrepid woman is to try things... Even if you know you won't be the best or you're going to win, you should always give things a go. So a real woman making waves. Thank you very much for joining us today, Sue. Thank you. That's a lovely introduction.
2: Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us a little about your story. Where were you born? Okay, so I was born in the industrial black country, a little town called Briley Hill, and uh, it was a steel-working town. All the families, all the men, kids, everyone worked in an industry associated with the steelworks yeah and my, my dad was a steelworker and I've got real clear memories of him working on the steelworks and also you wouldn't be able to do it now but going up to take his they used to call it snap which is their sort of packed lunch uh I remember he forgot that one day and I had to I was about four years old and I had to run <laughs> up to the steelworks with it and uh, actually went onto the furnaces
1: and wow. gave
2: dad his his snap so uh, and one of his friends gave me a sixpence, I think. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> the sixties yeah. were different times, though, weren't they? We were Completely all running around different. at four. Yeah. You know, yeah. I remember the same. You know, two or three streets away from from where I lived, nobody batted an eyelid about that kind of thing, and everybody looked out for kids. Really, mm, they did. Yeah. yeah, but there were quite hard times back in those days as well, in, in in small towns like that, industrial towns.
2: Yes, I guess they were. I don't really remember that. I just remember having a really happy childhood and um, dad worked in the steelworks mom stayed at home looking after us as children so they wanted to buy their own house because we were in a sort of two up two down house with a loo at the end of the garden and all that sort of thing and so dad took on a second job and he worked on a farm so he'd work shifts at the steelworks and then he'd come home and then he'd go and work on the farm to, to earn money but even despite that I never remember a time when mom and dad weren't available for us so um, that's where swimming came in so every Friday I've got clear memories of dad taking us to the local swimming pool to teach us how to swim and then we would lots of time playing football on the common and all that sort of thing so I don't remember it being hard I remember it being fun. So did you do you feel that your
0: parents were quite exceptional do you do, you know, it seems to me that when you're working so hard in the steel factory when do parents get the time but do you find that they were sort of
2: yeah exceptional I suppose? Yeah I mean obviously I would say that because they're my mum and dad and they're still alive now and they they're in their 80s and they still go to the gym and they're wow. still really vital people. They're um, exceptional. So,
1: they, are. <laughs> they are exceptional. <laughs> yes. I think I
2: think I, I think. I was really lucky. But then the whole extended family, mum and dad's brothers and sisters, it was quite close-knit, I guess. And swimming became a bit of a love, I'm assuming. It did. It did. Not particularly as a teenager. I mean, you know, as I say, we, we didn't have lots of money, so I didn't go to swimming clubs. I didn't have any sort of um, swimming lessons. But dad taught us how to swim. And then I really got into it after my son was born. I've got two children and when they were going to school and, you know, you get chatting to people. And I joined um, Epsom District Masters Club. I live in Epsom now. And that's where I learned to swim properly, you know, learned how to do butterfly and breaststroke properly. And, and then began to meet some great friends there and you encourage each other. So, yeah, and we ended up doing some competitions and...
1: Yeah, you you qualified to swim for GB in the European Masters, I believe. I
2: did. I did. Yeah, it was uh, only just qualified and uh, never went there, as I say, with any chance of winning any medals or anything like that. But oh, we had such a good time. I did manage to do a personal best in 50 metres freestyle, but that was mainly because I, I didn't do a warm up and I just drank a rum and coke instead. <laughs> 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 yes that's a great story
1: that a great, maybe that's the way forward Sue actually I think we all take things too seriously
2: <laughs> but yeah so those friends um you know I still see them two or three times a week I don't swim with a club anymore I took up open water swimming in, uh, around about 2007 that's when I got into triathlon and then that introduced me to open water swimming and now as soon as uh, lockdown when they said you can go and swim in rivers we've been swimming in a there's a river not too far from us and we go there six o'clock every morning most mornings and and do a swim before we start work you hear about people while swimming is is it a lot better do you just love
1: being out in the open air or
2: what yeah, is it, I think about it's very, it it's very free so um as i say i used to um train with a club and that was three times a week in a pool or chlorinated water and it's it, you're inside and particularly in summer it's not great and then there's something about open, open water it's um It feels exciting. I was quite scared when I first began to do it, for sure. But then it's very freeing and you are totally immersed in your environment. So I guess it's a bit mindful as well. And Mm -hmm. it's not about PBs and it's not about competition. It's just about really, really enjoying what it is that you're doing. Saying that, there are open water events. So there's there's something called the Thames Marathon, which is a 14K swim. I've done that a few times. So it can be about endurance, but... um, for the most part, it's just meeting up with your mates, having a nice swim. You can see the coots, the baby coots that are developing through the springtime, you know, and you just get involved in the environment as well. It's lovely. I think the
0: outlook on for a lot of people is I think people are f- afraid of failing, aren't they? Mm. Where, and, that, and that stops a lot of people. A lot mm. of us, when we, mm. we it's only going to go one way or the other, and then you learn from the fail, and that's mm. something it's I find really hard to teach younger people about mm. that.
1: I think mm. it's a matter of confidence as well sometimes, mm. and people being quite afraid of looking silly, and yeah. giving things a go, and it's such a shame. And I think as you get older, you get better at that kind of thing as well, yeah, um, yeah uh, and less less self conscious perhaps.
2: Yeah, I mean the, the the people. They're mainly women that I go and swim with in the morning at the moment, but there are some guys that turn up as well. And you do lose all of that. And a, a lot of the women I swim with actually, they are channel. They are channel swimmers. I mean, these are really impressive swimmers. I don't wow. fit into any of that. These, these guys are swimmers. These are, these guys are really impressive. But it's it's, it's something. I was chatting to um, Catherine one of them um, a few days ago when we were talking about body confidence none of us are Kate Moss, you know, we all carry weight and we're all menopausal and all that sort of thing. But you just become, I guess, quite comfortable with your body and there's nowhere to change. So you you change on the river bank and you look, have a quick look around to see if there's anyone coming before, you know, you might strip off a little bit, but, um, Wow, yeah, so you quite, actually
1: quite... I assume I mean I assume you go with your costume on, so getting um, in the uh, water is fine. But when yes, you come yes. out have you actually got to remove the costume?
2: Yeah, yeah. But there's all sorts, oh. you know, you've got you, you've got little towel techniques and you know Yeah, that's you know, true. Big big baggy sort of gown game, things that you can wear, but, but they do go and miss sometimes. We've had a few <laughs> a few close close shaves with dog walkers early in the morning. But... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's that's brilliant. <laughs> it is, absolutely. <laughs> Tell us about the nursing,
1: Sue, because you've been a nurse for many years, haven't you?
2: Uh, yes, I have. I did A-levels. I went to a comprehensive school. It wasn't a great comprehensive school, but I did A-levels. Unfortunately, I messed my A-levels up and it was purely down to my own actions I was far too interested in being the best new romantic I could possibly be so I didn't (laughs) study and (laughs) just went out clubbing all the the time much to my dad's disappointment I've got to say because he could see me that was an opportunity missed you see but anyway so I messed those up and uh, didn't really know what to do did a variety of jobs went to work in the south of France for six months as an 18 year old lived in a tent and then thought what do what am I going to do and I, I I really like the idea of nursing. I enjoy interacting with people and and building relationships, I guess. Um, But because my A-level grades were not great, I couldn't get into any of the teaching hospitals and some of the more, I guess, respectable hospitals, I would turn up for an interview and they would look at my A-level results and it was just, you know, no. And then I went for an interview at South Warwickshire School of Nursing and there was this guy that interviewed me and I'm still in touch with him now when we met up a few years ago. He's in his 70s now. And his name is Ian Welsh, and this I kind of owe my life in a way. I feel quite emotional when I talk about Ian, because he looked beyond my A-levels, and he offered me a chance. He he, um, offered me the opportunity, I'm getting quite emotional talking about it, to to, um, start nursing. And yeah, it's been a fantastic career, you know, made lots of good friends. Um, I went into renal quite early on. I became a renal specialist, uh, began to uh, learn about renal about 12 months after qualifying. And as a result, I've worked in lots of different renal units all around the country, worked in Singapore for a couple of years, I ran dialysis, a dialysis unit out there for a charity. Yeah, and, and, and you know, moved to, to to quite senior levels. And at the moment, I'm now working in higher education, but still have very, very close links with clinical practice and, and, and sort of national committees as well. So.
1: And I can imagine that if you can give somebody a chance, if you see something in someone mm. like Ian saw something in mm. you... If you can see something in someone, then I'm kind of imagining that you also would give somebody a chance. You know, if it's not all about paper, is it? It's if, about the person.
2: Absolutely. And and that does worry me a little bit sometimes, I think, with today. We have so many boxes that sometimes have to be ticked. And I think that sometimes means we look beyond what the yes. person can actually offer. Same with, um, you know, student nurses and, and staff nurses and teams that I've worked with through the years. It's just, yeah learn from any mistakes and grasp any opportunities that present themselves you've actually just mentioned your
0: your friend Ian mm. do you think he inspired you because he looked through and he looked beyond you are there people that you pick up on along the way
2: yeah definitely I mean I guess I, I do have role models I think or, or people who have inspired me and um, so put um, my, my parents obviously from from the beginning Um as when I mess my A levels up and crying in my bedroom for three days and dad just saying, right, madam, you need to get up and get a job and sort yourself out. And there wasn't a lot of sympathy. But then that prompted me to do other things. And then, of course, Ian, huge factor. Ian, I mean, my life would have been very different if he hadn't have provided that opportunity to do nursing. It's a great career nursing. I'd encourage anyone to get to do it, really. And then, yeah, once I was a renal nurse, I met, I became friends with a woman called Annie, Annie Atkinson. And she really inspired me from a nursing point of view. She was so patient-focused. It didn't matter anything else that was going on around If that particular person needed a particular type of help, she was really good at sort of just focusing in and just making them feel so important. And, mm-hmm. and I learnt a lot from Annie in that sense. And then more recently, there are other people that you meet who are impressive and you think, wow, I, I can really learn from you. So, yeah, seeing the way people, I guess, are themselves and then also I, I really like to learn. Um, Mm. I really enjoy learning
0: and do you think you have a responsibility do you think you inspire so as much as you learning from people coming in do you find sometimes when you've done these great things in your life do you find that you are giving an example
2: out to other women I I, I wouldn't do that I wouldn't say that expressly I don't think um but uh I know that I, I guess people do say wow that's incredible that you've done that and you know, maybe um I, I wouldn't have the courage to do it and then we'll have a conversation about well, why don't you have the courage to do it? And not everyone has to go and um do a leg of the clipper race even if it's just about, you know, applying for that job that you really want to go for, no mm. matter what your age or what your previous experience or if it's doing a couch to five K or anything, you know, just just have a go. Just do it. Mm. And it won't always work out. It doesn't always work out. And I've I've started lots of things and and thought well this is not really working you know but i've had a go Let, let's talk about that clipper round the world race because
1: what they do my understanding is that they take on people who are not sailors at all mm. very very little or no experience and they train you in this quite rigorous
2: and tough race around the world T- tell us about that what made you apply for that I've got a friend, I know a friend of a friend, and this you know, this woman is really impressive. She's um, been on a submarine and fighter jets and all sorts of things. She really is incredible. And uh, she did uh, the complete circumnavigation in the 2012 race. And I hadn't really been aware of it before then, but I followed her progress and thought, that looks great. And, I'd quite like to do that one day. And then in 2016, I kind of realised that Josie had been through uni, Finn would be completing his a-levels and hopefully going off to uni in in 2018 2019 and um that would be my opportunity you know get the kids out the door and uh let's have a go type thing so so we applied to do it got an interview got got on then came back and told rob my husband and the kids what i'd done and <laughs> i love it you didn't tell them before then no oh, i, I like, love I it. I was interested in it but it was like they didn't really do any more than that and then uh, then we sat around the dinner table and, and I kind of explained, you know, the risks attached to it. And if they didn't want me to do it, then that was fine. And, um, but they were all great. No, 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 mom, that's really cool. You know, that's go for it, go for it. So, yeah, um, I I didn't sail. I hadn't sailed before. And then they take you and you do a four week training program. And so you're trained to be a competent crew. You're not trained to become a specialist navigator or a helms person or anything like that. It's just to be competent around the boat. So, if the sail needs to be changed or meals need to be cooked or the engine needs to be checked you know you can do that sort of thing um yeah it it, it is grueling forget circadian rhythms and the 24 hour body clock you know you're doing four hours on four hours off four hours on four hours off. yeah
1: that is what makes it tough i think really isn't it that that
2: constant rigor of not getting a full night's sleep
1: Mm, the broken sleep
2: and sharing your bunk with someone else so your hot bunk as well so when you're not in it someone else is in your bunk you know yeah. who's going to be, um, you sort of have a bunkie, a bunkie partner. Uh, that's, but, um, <laughs> that's not, that's not pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, my bunk partners are really great, actually. I, I have nice bunk partners. But um, yeah, and, and again, that was another way of, uh, you meet people who are very, very experienced sailors and have had amazing adventures and been to parts of the world that I know I'm never going to get to. And, and to listen to their stories are really inspiring. But yes, I mean, physically, yeah, it, it was it was really tough sometimes when we when i did the first leg which was from uh, london to uruguay and we had a little stop off in portugal portamao in portugal in total we were at sea for about 30 33 days something like that and um yeah you see amazing things go through the doldrums big storms living living at 45 degrees for a week is really challenging (laughs) going to the loo that sort of thing were you scared at any point Sue? yeah people have asked that I, i never felt scared i felt very anxious Um there are times particularly when the conditions are changing very very quickly you know there's a storm coming or you're in the middle of a storm and maybe you need to drop a sail and it's really it's absolutely imperative that you execute your maneuver correctly because if you don't that has an impact on somebody who's on the foredeck and they may end up getting injured so often when it was very like stormy or there were those very quick changes in weather and conditions coming I was more concerned about what my performance would be like in order to maintain the safety of everyone on the boat rather than being worried about the storm if that makes sense yeah and I think that probably helps you cope with it a little bit as well because you bring it right back down to what you are in control of and then making sure that you do that to the, the best you possibly can and in yeah. the safest way yeah, yeah.
0: Do you ever find that when people say to you, would you recommend going on the clipper? You've just said the words gruelling and mm-hmm. hard and the ramifications of not getting a certain skill right and it has mm-hmm. effects on other people. Mm-hmm. Would you say to people, have a go? But mm-hmm. you'd also give them a very, very honest, this mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. hard and you really yeah. have
2: to think about this. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the people who are around the world, is, I mean, they are made of steel. You know, the people who actually choose to do the round the world thing they really are tough and they are made of steel yes i would um i would say give it a go i mean the good thing about the training is you know you do your level one two three four you can step off at any point if you're really struggling then you might be advised to step off as well but that didn't happen to too many people you know there are times when it really makes you look inside yourself and about the way you work as a team because obviously you're a very um there are 20 of us on the boat in a small environment and and there was a time I do I, I can't swear but I did actually send an email to Rob at one point and I, I think I'd had a particularly bad day and it was just get me off this flipping boats, <laughs> <laughs> and then he it, because the emails only went out once every 24 hours by the time he re- he received the email of course I was absolutely fine so he sent me an email back going you know stay strong but I'd moved it's on like by the then
1: camp, <laughs> camp granada song
2: really isn't it <laughs> mama father get me out of here and then it's sunny but, then, but yeah. 20 minutes later and it's all great <laughs> that's right exactly I think it's like with anything you know if you yeah if people are interested have a go it's not all roses and it's not all, you know, the pictures all look great and beautiful sunrises and dolphins. and But there was lots of boredom. A lot of it was also being able to manage boredom, uh, particularly mm-hmm. when you're going through, um, you know, bits like the doldrums where you are on the same tack for days and nothing is happening with the weather yeah. and there's very little wildlife. And so it is you in your head and the people around you. So you, you've got to be prepared for that as well. So it goes from sort of absolute boredom to 100% high high octane activity and it can switch survival very really yeah,
1: that, yeah, that, yeah in yeah, storms yeah. i guess it's all about yeah. it's distilling down to you against the elements and you looking after other people and yeah. looking after yourself as well
2: yeah. but but i was just a small cog in that team you know i was just a part of that team you've got a skipper who's very experienced you've got a first mate who's very experienced you've got other people around you who are, who are experienced sailors who are taking part in the race and then you've got novices like me and obviously you just learn and learn and learn all the time. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I would, yeah, I'd recommend it, but it's not for everybody, but I'd recommend it. You're on a break from this at the moment, so
1: you're about to mm. do the second leg when you can, with, with yeah. COVID uh, having broken the thing. Are you
2: looking forward to that? Or are you I looking haven't... forward to it with, intra- with trepidation? No, I think it's a bit like childbirth. You know, you have a kid and you go, I'm never doing that again. Um, <laughs> And then time goes and you think, oh, maybe I'll have another one. I should have flown out to China at the beginning of March to pick up the boat because I was then going to sail across the North Pacific to Seattle. But obviously China was off the cards at that point because of COVID. So instead we were redirected to the Philippines. So I flew out to the Philippines. But then this was the beginning of March and it just felt like the whole world was starting to shut down. And we did a short offshore race. And then at that point Clipper decided to call and postpone the race because we couldn't sail anywhere. The whole of the west coast of America, North and South America, had closed. You couldn't sail into any ports. And then the Philippines, that was quite fun. The Philippines went into um, lockdown. We, we couldn't leave the pontoon, and we kept on the pontoon under armed guard for three days. So that was quite exciting. <laughs> 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 and then, uh, but, but we managed to get beer, so that was okay. And then, yeah, I flew home. And then after that, I, I had a week or so just making sure I wasn't symptomatic and then I put my uniform on and went and worked as a sister in a dialysis unit. And of course um, that's so. probably been tough as well I would imagine over the past few months. Yeah I, I mean I, I was in a dialysis unit so um, looking after people with kidney failure um, and they would just be turning up for their normal uh, kidney dialysis treatment and we did have people who presented with COVID sy- symptoms and uh, it, it hit the renal it hit renal patients badly actually it affected a lot and we, we lost quite a few. Um, we would send their, those patients off to hospital. But, I mean, it's not like some of my colleagues were actually in, you know, um, hospitals working on COVID wards and ITUs, and that was that was really tough for them. I, I can't. I've heard some of their stories, and that was very, very difficult. Yeah. You know, and I just hope we don't get a second wave in the same way. Yeah, we
0: yeah. too. Yes, absolutely. And, out of all the things you've done so far, what's been an amazing highlight? You mean, you know, is it something before the Clipper or was it the Clipper that's something that you thought, wow, I didn't think I could do
2: that? The Clipper is probably up there. There is um, sailing into Uruguay. I've got a photograph that Rob Rob was waiting for me because after we got to Uruguay, we, we then travelled around South America for three months. So I saved up so we could go off and of travelling and we got back to the UK in January, just just at the right time, really. But Rob was waiting on the harbour wall and he's got his photograph and I'm just waving and I'm I, in the picture I look really happy and I am really proud of that photograph because everyone, the, the rest of the crew are around me but I, you can see that I'm actually feeling relieved that it's over but also proud mm-hmm. and, and I think proud because it went on for such a long time. It wasn't just a day, it was over a month of, of sort of being at sea but I say around the world as I mean, they're, they're at it for 12 months so... It's not, you know, it, it can't really is that something
1: that would appeal to you or would it just be too much <laughs> to do around
2: the world no I, I think you need the time to be able to do around the world and uh, I felt two legs for me is enough I'm looking forward to going back to do my second leg um, and I've postponed it they're hoping to restart the race in March 21 it's a little bit don't know whether that's going to happen so I've actually postponed mine until 22, 23 so I won't be going back out to sail again until 23 and then that gives me time to save up so it can do a little bit of travelling again when we get to the other ends. Um, so, yeah, um, Clipper. Running a, a London marathon in under five hours, that was a bit of an achievement. I'm really pleased with that because the, the first two I did was over five hours and then I did a 4.52 and then I felt, yeah, I'm a proper marathon runner now. <laughs> I, wouldn't do, I wouldn't do that again though. My knees are shot now. <laughs> yeah. um, I know that and, feeling actually, yes. <laughs> and, and, and being a parent, you know, like being a mum, yeah. that's pretty cool.
0: You are absolutely perfect for win-making ways and I think you're very inspiring, Sue. And, and I'm, I was talking earlier about having some responsibility to sharing your story your journeys mm. with a younger generation because i think it i think it's important personally yes. to it's not all about as you said before school and exams it is about life experiences isn't mm. it mm. Yeah.
2: it is it is and whilst you've said that and i should have um the, about about um education so and what i'm most proud of so yes i messing my a levels up big time like i say you know i've been a i was an excellent new romantic I um, <laughs> Love that, really so, love that. <laughs> but but then and then I went into nursing. But then it always felt to me personally that I needed to lay the ghosts of my A levels to rest at some point. So in my thirties, I did do a lot of study. Um, I started a degree. I got pregnant with Josie, and then I did my third year and went and finished my third year off when she was eight weeks old. Wow. So I did a degree when she was tiny, and then <laughs> I, I then did a masters at Kings in medical law and ethics when I was pregnant with Finn and Josie was four a lot of that I did to a to advance my career but it was to prove to myself that I wasn't stupid I think now it's a shame because I think further education for adults is probably more difficult now because it's more expensive but you know even if you you not quite achieved at school and I didn't really achieve I came up with a bunch of C's at O level and then terrible and a grade D and two O level passes at A level but that doesn't mean to say that then when you're older you can still you can do a degree and you can do a master's and it's it's just about application Absolutely. and wanting to do it
1: yes so. your life is not over if you get bad if you do do badly at school maybe it actually sometimes inspires you to do other things later yeah. on
2: and maybe you do better in the long run it's tortoise it, in the hair isn't it it is it is because I could have done well and I could have gone to university but if I'd have done that i wouldn't have met rob i wouldn't have had my kids i wouldn't exactly. have met all the friends that i've got now it's that sli- sliding doors moment yes, isn't it, you know, absolutely and yeah and it's just um i was lucky enough to have dad come into my bedroom and tell me to stop crying and get yourself out there and sort yeah. yourself out you know not everybody has that but if you can even find a way to say that to yourself that then helps to create opportunity.
1: <laughs> You've been absolutely brilliant, Sue, and it's been great having you on Women Making Waves. Sue Woodcock, thank you very much.
0: What I found by talking to a Sue Woodcock is she's so modest. Completely modest and yeah. nothing is too too small or too big to do. She's not one to show off, is she? She just does because she wants to do it and she wants to help and everything. And I think that's amazing.
1: Well, what made me smile was we had to talk her into being interviewed because when we invited her to be interviewed because we we, we thought she sounded brilliant she was like no I'm I, I've looked at your website and there's all these people and I can't I'm not a woman making waves I can't do it we well, yes you can yes and of course absolutely brilliant this is the kind of interview I love because she's a normal woman doing normal things but she's doing it like many women making waves in an extraordinary way she's really a go-getter yeah like like was said and and she's just one of these people that just inspirational because she just gets out and does things i love it
0: women making waves on cambridge 105 radio